The following was recorded in front of a live studio audience at the Studio 21 Podcast Cafe. This is the United Podcast Network. Welcome to the Quirky Dog Podcast, inspired by some of the quirkiest dogs you can ever imagine and the owners who love them. This podcast is brought to you by the quirky couple themselves, Scott and Jess Williams. Their aim is to educate and entertain. Here's Scott and Jess. Welcome, guys, and happy Wednesday. Today, we are coming to you with an important topic to us, and the title of today's podcast is A State That Becomes a Trait, and that comes to you from one of our favorite books, and that's also going to be our quirky tip of the day. What's our quirky tip of the day, love bug? Quirky tip of the day is uh, if you know anyone or if you happen to have some ADHD, you may want to... Or kids with ADHD. Yeah, attention deficit disorder. This book uh, by Gabor Mate, Scattered Minds, is a great read and um, give you a little more insight into why someone may have that and how to overcome it. Yeah, we are obsessed with the book, and he brings this up in the book as far as ADHD is concerned, that, you know, kids are there, they're zoning out, right? Like, when I was little, my parents fought, whatever, that's fine, they'd go down to the basement, they'd fight. But during that time, I'm not like sitting there listening to them, you know, so then you're going to like tune out as a child. A lot of kids are tuning out. Kids are perceptive. They understand like, okay, like I don't really want to be a part of that. I'm going to zone out. So what Gabor is arguing is that the kids are there. They're like having some sort of trauma, call it big T trauma, call it little T trauma, whatever else. And they're in this state of like, holy crap, like this isn't supposed to happen. This isn't like how life is supposed to be. This isn't normal. And then it becomes a trait later on in their life. And that's where all this ADHD kind of develops and unfolds. And we're going to talk about ADHD and a lot of dog traits and everything else. But what I'm here to say to you and what Scott and I want to bring to you this week is that maybe traits like if a dog's showing some fear, it's just going to become the state of the dog later on. Maybe if a dog's showing some reactivity, it's going to become the state of the dog overall. So, of course, genetics matter and everything matters, but we're trying to make a point here to show you that a lot of the things that people are concerned about and seem to have very um, strong blame and blame towards other people, towards the breeders, towards the rescues, towards everything else. Maybe part of that is coming from the environment. And Gabor just um, unleashed a new book too. What is that one? He just released a book called uh, The Myth of Normal. Yeah. And that's a brand new one. And this is like, he's going to be like 80, I feel like. He looks getting. (laughs) He looks a little rough. He's had a long life. He's a great guy. Uh, He's Canadian. But check out these books. We're going to unpack this whole topic today to try to get you guys to understand some different ways to look at things and think of things, and mostly just to give you hope, right? Because how upsetting is it to sit there and hear a trainer with a puppy who's six months old or a dog who's two years old or something else that just says, your dog's fearful, this is the dog you have, like, you're just going to have to live with it forever. So we're going to unpack this a bit today. So how can fear, aggression, and anxiety, for one, be created by the owner as far as you're concerned? Like, how could an owner create fear in your mind? Well, I think, for example, if the dog is um, doing a little bit of resource guarding at a very young age Mm -hmm. where you go to take a toy away from the dog or something and it growls at you, Mm -hmm. so you back off and you let the dog have the toy, that becomes the go-to for the dog when it wants to keep anything, that he wants kids to back off, adults to back off, and if he gets enough reps of that, then keeping in in line with this theory here, that becomes his... um, 
like the, the state. Like yeah, that's, he's the, a resource guarder. There's he's, neural he's pathways created in the brain where this is what I do when this happens. That and after he's done it x amount of times, couple dozen times maybe. It's normal. Yeah, it it's just becomes starting to normal. become who the dog is more. It's starting to become the dog's characteristic. So that's a good example, actually. And we just sent home a golden doodle puppy. Nice doodle. I liked it a lot. It was an F1 um, from somewhere, I don't know, in Pennsylvania or something. But the dog had spirit, right? Like, it wasn't just this, like, oh, okay, like, go lay in the corner. You know, it's just here to get groomed. The dog had, like, good poodle traits, good golden traits, strong dog. Dog had strong resource guarding. Yeah. And we had it, we got it young. What was she? Four months. Yeah, really young. So, and the reason that we're saying strong is because we see a lot of dogs of a lot of breeds of a lot of different ages. And like this puppy was possessing something in such a way that it's not like, oh, that happened a few times at home. And you guys created this within, you know, the two months that you've owned this dog. So yes, traits like resource guarding can for sure be genetic. We've talked about our own dogs resource guarding on this show multiple times and ways to deal with that. However, we're not going to allow repetitions of that over and over and over again. And we're making kind of a protocol of how to deal with it. Scott tells you time and time again, if his Malinois is chewing something really savory, he doesn't walk up and reach in and grab it. He calls, he says, come on, give me it. He has him sit, he takes it from him. He's fine doing that. We've taught him that process. So if it, it is something like resource guarding, which I guess, I don't even know if I would call resource guarding a trait. It, it is a trait, I guess, that could get passed down genetically. But when the dog then first displays it, it's just a state that that puppy is in. It doesn't mean that that puppy will be in that state forever, depending on how you deal with the whole situation. And then it's going to become who the dog actually is later on. So be very thoughtful about how you're handling things like that. You don't want to make your resource guarding worse with how you're stepping in. Do you yeah, think that's it, a fair example? Yeah, and it kind of ties in with the epigenetic theory too, where yeah, in a there's, sense. there's um, certain pre, pre... The dog is predetermined towards certain types of behaviors, but you don't want that dog to be able to have have that behavior flourish. Yes, yes. Because now it becomes You don't part, want that, that behavior to grow it. as much, for sure. Okay, so that was a great one um, as far as resource guarding and a certain trait that you see. Anxiety is a big one. Anxiety is a genetic, 100% a lot of the time. Anxiety, is it created by environment? Hell yes. Like, <laughs> how can we say that it is not? I am sorry. Like, as humans, you walk into a meeting, a corporate meeting of maybe people that you don't want to be with. I don't care. Your heart starts pounding. You start sweating your palms. Like, anxiety can totally come from environmental factors. And dogs, yes, they can be born more anxious. They can have parents with more anxiety, everything else. It's all about how you handle that anxiety and how you raise that puppy to see how it flourishes or how it kind of subsides and to see how stable that dog becomes. And in the way we've always raised dogs is uh, identifying the weaknesses and making them stronger. Yes. Not, we're not just letting those, Giving not them saying confidence. That's, that's the way the dog is and allowing yep. all that to flourish because the dog's world inevitably, whether it's aggression, anxiety, fear, it, the dog's world will get real small and you won't be able to do a lot of stuff with your dog. You, you'll be keeping him away from people. You won't be able to walk down the street yep. because he's afraid of this, that, and the other thing. Yeah. And dogs, we've talked about energy a ton on this podcast. Dogs read energy, right? So I totally get it that if your dog has gone after another dog before and you see a dog on the street, you're choking up on that leash and you're like, holy crap, I don't want to get embarrassed. I don't want to have a problem. I, you know, that I don't know how strong I am right now. I totally get it. I totally understand if your dog lunged at somebody one time, now you're going to be more stressed with the next person. That is human nature. I get it. You're, it's a fear response. It's, it can almost become like PTSD. Oh, I didn't like that. I'm concerned about it. 
the dog is reading your anxiety levels, right? My dog, Sarge, he was pretty social. He was attacked by three adult dogs. He wasn't as social with other animals after that. He read my anxiety when I was in those situations. <clears throat> Excuse me. If, he, if I was like, oh, I'm not sure, I'm a little bit stressed, he felt that instability. He felt my concern. He, I'm sure that amped him up more. So sometimes anxiety could come from the owner. Sometimes anxiety could come from the environment. Sometimes anxiety could come from the kids. Sometimes it can come from the other dogs. Whatever that situation is, my goal would be to get the dog feeling more well in his or her own skin. And if the anxiety is an environmental factor, then talk about that in your family, with your spouse, with your trainer, with whomever. Journal about it yourself. What can we do to lower the anxiety in this house for the dog and also for ourselves? I mean, that's just basic living in peace, if you ask me. Yeah, I think that, um, and we talked about this last week, not on the podcast, but I think that dogs are probably one of the most intuitive to yes. humans oh my gosh, on yes. the planet yes. because they've been raised with people for thousands of years. They're yeah. picking up all of our emotional we've, states. We've raised them to be that way. Yeah. So Domestication. If, if we're stressed, the dog is stressed. Mm-hmm. So if, if a dog that has a predisposition to being stressed and anxious, if they're with a strong owner that is, and when I say strong, a, an emotionally stable, calm, for the most part, happy human being, they're not going to have all that crap that's just popping yeah. up all the time. No, it's true. But most of us have anxiety to a certain level, and our dogs pick up on it, and then they're like, oh, shit, something's Well, up. and a lot something's of us, wrong. and I'll, I'll even say this again. I'll go back to my childhood. A lot of us use our dogs for coping, right? Like, okay, I need to feel better. I'm going to go cry in my dog's fur. We're very conscious that if we're not in our best state, either individually or together or everything else, we're removing the dogs from that energy. Like, I'm not, I'm not saying that they don't still know that it's happening, but like, if we're going to have a heated discussion, I'm going to put Scott's dog in another room so he doesn't have to deal with it. If he's not, you know, in a good state of mind or whatever, Scott stressed or whatever else wants to go for a walk, he's going to decompress before he joins up with his dog and then brings that energy to his dog. So be very conscious of these little things that are occurring and if you unpack them correctly, you might start to see certain trends. And trends are great. Trends are awesome. My little sleep ring, remember this? Follow your trends. Change your behavior. Get the best possible result out of your household. I don't think there's any harm in that personally. Yeah, and if you're going to be doing some training with your dog, make sure that you prepare yourself emotionally, if you're feeling a little bit off, to get yourself stable, calm, and look forward to having a good training session and then have a, a little short interaction with your dog that is successful. Yes, Rather completely. than if you're bringing your work stress to, okay, now I got to put in my 10 minutes with my dog. I just got home from work. I got to train this dog a little bit. And they know that you're all stressed out. They're not going to respond accordingly, which... Or as optimally. Yeah. And, but then if you get an attitude and you're like getting short with the dog, then it's just all spiraling downhill. Mm-hmm which you don't want. Yeah. So just be very conscious of these things and just truly think whether you just got a rescue or you, you know, just brought a puppy into your home or whatever else, everything that you're first seeing out of that dog is just a state of that dog's being. It's just a state of that dog in the moment. That dog is scared right now. That dog is excited right now. That dog is playful right now. That dog is fearful right now. Whatever it is, it's just a state that they are in. And do you like that state? Do they seem to be healthy and well in that state? Do you want that state to continue? And As dog owners, that is our job to help the dog's mental state get to a point that helps it to be more stable, to feel more comfortable again in his or her own skin, to feel comfortable in different environments and when it's moving out and about to understand that, okay, like this is a little bit different, but I can still handle it. Coping mechanisms. So just be very thoughtful of 
how often you're allowing a certain state, especially one that you don't like, to reoccur and reoccur and reoccur. If you take your dog for a walk every day, and maybe you have to take your dog for a walk to potty, I'm not trying to judge, and four times a day, that dog is blowing up on the street anytime it sees people, and the two times you took it out, it's not being reactive just because there weren't people on the street. That's a lot of repetitions of reactivity, and that could now become, oh, my dog's more reactive. It's not that you can't train that later and help the dog later, but be conscious of what you're allowing and how frequently it's happening. That would be our advice. Yeah, and this is why you'll see quite often when you get a rescue or you get a dog, typically it's a rescue, where supposedly everything is fine, and then with you, the dog is showing a lot of aggression, Yeah. or vice versa. They say, oh, this dog is aggressive in all these different situations. But if you're a dog person, meaning a trainer, and you're comfortable working with the dog, and work, all of a sudden you have like a really nice... We have a, a dog in our home that came to us with a big bite history, all kinds of problems. Uh, and it bit, I mean, there were lawsuits, there was all kinds of issues with this dog. It has not so much as growled. We've had the dog for like six, seven years yeah. now. It's had one or two instances where it growled. But it is the most stable dog. We use this dog for dog-dog <laughs> stuff. We use yeah. it for all kinds of stuff because he's just a calm, stable dog. Yeah. But in the wrong hands, he's a biter. Yes, exactly. You know? So just be careful of how you're labeling your animals. What kind of like names you're putting on them. You know, it's the same thing to be like, oh, well, I'm neurotic. Oh, I'm OCD. Oh, I'm too busy. Like, what are we saying? What kind of rhetoric are we saying? And who are we making our dogs out to be? And is that in case, is that actually the fact of who they are? Or is it just what we're saying that they are? All right, let's go to break super quick. And when we get back, we'll unpack this a little bit more. Want to keep up with all the latest from the Quirky Dog Podcast, like me and Murphy here? Then make sure you head on over to the YouTube channel and subscribe. Or if you prefer to listen to the madness, go on over to iTunes or Spotify and follow the Quirky Dog Podcast. And hey, while you're there, leave a rating and review and let them know what you think of the show. Until then, keep it quirky. All right, we're back. I want to touch on this ADHD topic just a little bit more um, because I don't think we'll do a full podcast on Scattered Minds, but the parallels between the dogs and the humans, and I mean, we all have ADHD, right? Like, this is totally me at college. Like, I'm sitting there, I need to write a big paper, I clean, I clean, I clean, I clean, it's midnight, I can't get shit done, I have to pull an all-nighter to do a paper, right? We all are always jumping from thing to thing to thing, especially when stress hits, and and that's fine. That's okay. That's part of who we are. And Scott and I both have these tendencies greatly and we are working through them all the time. But the parallels to the dog is just honestly fascinating. And I would highly recommend everyone in dogs to read this book, pick this book up. I did the first like three chapters and I was taking all these notes and I was going to do a parallel. But literally like I put dog paws in the columns next to all of this stuff. And within, it's on page 23, he says, too often ADD, ADD, ADHD, hyperactivity or not, seems no more than a judgment that characterizes a child as a problem student, incapable of normal activity. And I feel like that's kind of where we're headed with dogs is like, oh, it's a problem dog. Oh, it's a problem dog. We work with a ton of problem dogs, and our goal is to make that dog feel okay at its house, feel comfortable in a crate, be able to walk on a loose leash comfortably, be able to go to a vet, be able to be groomed and handled. Like these are all kind of just baseline things for animals. So just be conscious of it if you read this book. And I do want to give you guys some tidbits too, if you do have ADHD, because when Scott's um, had the whole audio book and listened to this before, and this is in the end of his book. So this is on page 285. And this is in his um, 
chapter, the physical and spiritual environment. These are things that he's suggesting will help you for ADHD. And if you take medication and it works for you, that's awesome. In Gabor's book, he's giving you some other things that may help your ADHD. One thing is be conscious of your physical space. Of course, what are you surrounded in? What is your environment? How much is that setting off your ADHD or not? Sleep hygiene, super important. Let's go back to my ring. Nutrition, what we put in our bodies, what we put in our dog's bodies, that all matters. Physical exercise is something that he recommends, right? Getting out, hiking, humans, biking, running, working out, whatever it is, getting out, moving your body. Nature, that's like why we live in Elliott, Maine, right? That is where we're at. We love nature. We want to be out and about with the trees, with the birds. We have deer in our backyards. That is something he's suggesting. And by the way, these are things that have been proven to help people with ADHD because it helps them to get back into the moment. Another thing he talks about is extracurricular duties, um, recreation, creative expression, and um, meditation and mindfulness. And we talk about this type of stuff a lot on the program, but when you start to honestly relate our traits, if you will, our mental health, if you will, whatever else, to the dogs, we have to be very honest about what we're looking at and what we're comparing. So to me, Scott and I were talking about this on the way here. Jimmy likes people. He's fine with people. He's not crazy about all men. We don't make Jimmy meet everyone that he sees. Like that's, we don't care. We want Jimmy to be happy. He goes to classes with Scott. He probably does what, 30 classes a week with you? He's very busy. Yeah. He's, he's at 30 classes a week, seeing people all the time. He's out and about, totally stable, totally fine. We don't care that if somebody says, oh, can I, can I go see him and can I do this? We just say, no, like it's, that's not what he necessarily wants or something. We're an advocate for him. Correct. So we're okay with, as people saying like, I can't go out right now. I don't want to go and deal with the world. I can't see this person. It's totally fine that my kid doesn't want to hug every single person it sees, all this other stuff. But then when it comes to our dogs, they're just supposed to be bomb-proof, model citizens, perfect, all this stuff. I don't think that that's fair. Like, we have, our dogs have different quirks, and do we cater to them? I guess you can call it catering, but they're stable and they're okay. We just don't expect more from them than what we know they want, I guess, is really the way we live with them. And they don't, none of us are bomb-proof. Yes. So why does our dog have to be bomb-proof? You know, I I try to make my dog's weaknesses stronger, but when I'm dealing with other humans and other dogs that are typically not trained and oblivious to my dog's uh, (laughs) psychological profile, if you want to call it that, I'm not just going to throw him into the, you know, hey, just go and everything should be good. And then all of a sudden it's not good. Yeah. And, um... You know, I don't trust other people's dogs, and part of that is I'm, I have so much negative history dealing with the public and their dogs and fighting and whatnot, that I tell people it's just a matter of time before your happy dog becomes defensive and maybe dog aggressive if you're always sending him off with a pack of dogs that you don't know, because there's other dogs there that are not friendly. They're going to nail your dog, your dog's going to now get nervous around dogs, all that kind of yeah, stuff happens. Yeah, and it, it happens, know? right? Like I, I said Sarge before, we'll bring Sarge up again. He was at dog parks and the finals of CBS's Greatest American Dog, no problem in L.A. Then he became reactive because he was attacked. That was only a trait, but it did become, okay, now Sarge is reactive. I mitigated that and I helped <clears> that and everything else, but he wasn't just loose with packs of dogs after that. That wasn't him genetically. That wasn't the dog that came to me. That wasn't the dog that I had raised. That wasn't anything else. So environmental factors can, of course, change a dog. That makes sense. That's just, it's the same thing with us, an environmental factor of seeing a car accident or having a loved one die or whatever else. We all have trauma and tragedy. Of course, that is going to change the scope of how we think and how our brains function and everything. But then we need to help the dogs heal 
We need to help the dogs get better. We need to help the dogs feel more comfortable in that situation. And if you are in a situation where you don't know how to help a dog, whether you are a professional or an individual or anything else, ask for help. Literally, like we need to let down our egos a little bit. And Scott and I really try to be pretty good about doing this on this show and being as humble as possible. Like we don't have all the answers. We look elsewhere for answers frequently. We will be searching for different methods and things to do and how to make things the best possible way for our clients and our client dogs. So be very thoughtful about what environment is doing to your animal and if it's changing your animal and how you can help your animal just to feel safe again and just to feel at peace again. I think those are good things that all animals are able to feel. And I would say getting back to the list of the things that will improve that, um, you know, I I have many clients that have gone to a behaviorist at their veterinarian's uh, urging urging and spent five hundred bucks with a with an animal behaviorist, and but yet they're feeding like the cheapest food you can get at the store. So, you know, get some good quality nutrition into your dog. Start. You know, get him out. Try to make him into like a, as a normal or healthiest dog you can yes, have. Yes, the same list that the Gabor gave for humans is all of that helps dogs, right? Rest, all of these things. If you crate your dog overnight, and your dog has terrible separation anxiety, and it's up all night, it's not going to be as well the next day. Like these are all things that we can transfer to the animals, but it also is encouraging healing, and we really want to see healing in dogs. Hence, canine healing. Yeah, and the um. You know, we talk about structure a lot, but as it relates to anxiety and and all these different traits, if a dog is up roaming from room to room throughout the night, which a lot of my clients tell me this, oh, he sleeps over here, then he gets up and goes over here, then he goes downstairs, then he comes upstairs. Not resting. Yeah, he's not getting a good night's sleep. And that's why we encourage crating. Our dogs, they're not all in crates, but they all accept crates. If we wanted to put every dog in the house in a crate, they'd all go in the crate and go to sleep. And a dog like that, like... What if it's at daycare all day, running its, you know, little bum off, comes home, takes a nap, and then sleeps throughout the night, but is kind of like up and at them. And like, I know from when I'm up at night, like, yes, the dogs know I'm up, like they're not just roaming the house with me, but that affects the dogs and it affects their wellness the next day. So be conscious that your dogs are getting the rest. They're getting the nutrition. They're getting the nature. They're getting the mindfulness. What does that mean with dogs? We say it time and time again, just be in the moment with your animal, whether you're giving them affection, whether you're training them, whether you're ignoring them, just do that. Don't do that and a hundred other things because dogs can sense if you're with them or with your, or if you're in la la land, they just, they sense it. They know, trust me. And I will say getting back to Sarge, we're talking about a state becoming a trait. So he had some uh, traumatic states, some episodes, yeah. but he was also able to get along with all the dogs. You know, we have a house full of dogs. He yeah, was we, fine he, we with could dogs. integrate him into what we dog, wanted. If he saw a dog out on the street, he was that, afraid. And quite often that dog was, had some instability. Yeah. yeah. That dog is looking kind of nuts. Then he was like, all right. I, you know, I got to take care of myself. That dog looks crazy yeah. to me. And I didn't want to put him through another experience that was traumatic or anything. I didn't, I didn't know what I could control and I wanted him to feel safe and comfortable in his own skin. All right. The other thing that I said in notes, and we'll address this as a last question. Why do some breeds have more prevalence of certain traits than others? Well, that's genetics. I mean, that's the bottom line. And I'm not arguing that 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 none of this is genetic. I'm not arguing that you can't get a dog that's genetically aggressive. I'm not arguing that you can't get a dog that's genetically anxious. I'm not arguing that you can't get a dog that's genetically off the wall with drive. If you have those genetics, if you like it, mold that into what you want. And if you don't like it, then 
mold that into what you want also. It's the same situation. Just because you have a certain dog, it might be a more challenging dog. It might be a more problem dog. Like Gabor was saying in the beginning of his book, how we relate to ADHD, ADD children. Still, you need to help that dog become a well-integrated family member as far as I'm concerned. I'm really becoming along the thought process here of if you're getting a dog you need to commit to the dog for the dog, not what the dog can do for you, right? Like if the dog can't show well, fine. If you want to get rid of it, that's your own choice. It's not, that's your own prerogative. But what is your intention when you're first picking up this dog? If you're not, if you've had a bad experience before with a breeder, go and meet the parents of the next dog that you get. Anybody out there who's getting a purebred dog, meet the parents. You should be able to meet both parents before you even get on a list. Be more thoughtful about how you're approaching these certain things. And I mean, everybody who's listening or most people who's listening know that, you know, certain breeds have more traits. So the hunting dogs, the setters and stuff, they may be more anxious. They may be more ADHD, if you will, you know, running here, there, everywhere. Border collies could be more motion sensitive. Beagles could be more noisy, whatever. You can go through the list and the list and the list and the list. But just because the breed has that trait doesn't mean that you have, or that it has that trait that it's bred with. I'm sorry. When you're seeing it in that state, it doesn't mean that you're like, oh, it's a beagle, it barks. Because if the first time the dog barks outside or starts howling or something else, you bring the dog in, you start to establish some control, that's not going to just become who the dog is. And maybe you can still live in your neighborhood next to neighbors and all that other stuff. Well, some dogs, you know, and this is something that I see with dog sport people, is they get a puppy uh, from a very, typically from a specific breeding. Mm -hmm. They want certain traits. They're looking for certain Because they traits. saw them in other dogs. Yes. And so this is what they want. It works well with their training methodology, with, the, with their lifestyle, and with the sport they want to participate in. If that dog is not showing these traits within the first couple of months, or even in a month or something, yeah. quite often they'll say, let me talk to the breeder. This puppy isn't right for me. It's not showing me what I was hoping to see. And they'll exchange and get a different puppy from a different breeder, something like that. Because they're not overly emotionally involved with the, the, the puppy mm -hmm. right out of the gate. I, you know, and this sounds a little extreme, but I knew one guy when I first got into dog training that wouldn't even name a puppy. He would not give the puppy a name until he had had that puppy in his house for a certain amount of time and he was committed to it, then he would name the puppy, and then he would really 100% commit. Yeah, and everybody does it differently. I mean, that's kind of the complete opposite of what I was saying. But like for us, like if we're going to get an animal for the most part, especially like as a pet or something else, of course, if it doesn't work out or it's a, it, whatever. I mean, I understand there's exceptions, but know where you're going. Like know if you're committed, know if you're not. And say to the breeder, like, I'm fine. I like getting new dogs, but I'm going to need a four-month trial period here, and you may get the dog back. Just be honest. Just be open and all this stuff, because the dogs, they sense when they're creating frustration and stress in us, and they're, it's not helping their stress levels or their frustration or anything else. And I just, I really want to just kind of implore people out there that if you're breeding, if you want to claim if it's functional or ethical or whatever else, you guys can all claim whatever. And I do agree that all dogs should be able to breathe and walk. I do think those are basics. I'm not trying to get too out of here. But I'm looking for dogs to be bred that are going to, yes, produce puppies. But once they're in that home and once those puppies are either off the wall crazy or stable as can be, we still need to help them. <laughs> They're still members of our society, right? And Scott is amazing about going to someone's home and seeing a dog, maybe that he calls me and is like, I don't know where the frig this puppy came from, but I've never seen anything like that. 
He'll say to the people, well, the dog's a little bit challenging, but he's not berating them for what they, he, they did. He's not saying, oh, well, you should have done this. You should have looked here. You should do this. You should get rid of this puppy. No, like they have a puppy. So now let's work with it. That is our job as dog trainers to work with the dog in front of us. And whatever challenging situation people sometimes find themselves in, quite often they learn a lot about themselves and they have a lot of growth as a family working through some problems they see with their dog. Yeah. And I do see, you know, a lot of people complaining about instinctive behaviors that the dog is expressing. And <laughs> don't I get don't, that breed. Well, no, it, that just because they instinctively are doing this or that doesn't mean that you need to accept it. Oh, that's true. Yeah. That, that's the other, and Because I tell them, it's like the dog needs to learn some basic manners. Yeah. They can't hump every dog they see. <laughs> they can't lift their leg on the couch. Yeah. These are instinctive behaviors. Doesn't mean it's acceptable. Doesn't mean you should allow it just because, well, it's, it's natural. The dog wants to hump every other dog. Yeah unacceptable. It's going to create a fight. It's going to create conflict with other dogs. And so you need to train the dog to not, to use some self, some impulse control, some, and understand what's acceptable and what's not. So it can be just a decent member of society. Yeah, same thing with sniffing or hound or something, you know, oh, it needs to just, you know, get out in the woods. Okay. Well, if you can't call the dog back, like maybe it doesn't, like it also needs some control. Like just be conscious of what you're allowing and what you're perpetuating and what you're honestly advocating for, because whatever you're training and whatever you're working towards and everything else is what you're going to get. And the longer that it's turning into that picture, the more likely it, it's just going to become who the dog is and who you are. And um, do you have anything else to say about this, any of this? Well, you're not going to create the perfect dog. Again, getting back to the beginning, no dog is bomb-proof. No dog is perfect. No human is perfect. Don't expect the dog to be perfect. You see these weaknesses or behaviors that don't meld with your household, you need to work on either you can give the dog a channel if they love to sniff. Okay, well, we're going to do some nose work. But you're not going to sniff when I'm walking down the street yeah. because you can't get down the street. The dog yeah. is standing there sniffing for two hours. No, it's true. And a lot of people just stand there with the leash like, I can't walk the dog. He just wants to sniff. Mm-hmm. Well, you need to just train the dog to let him know you, you can't do that now. I'll let you do it over here in this context. But when I tell you to do something, you got to do it. Yeah. And it's just, it, it sounds very simple and it all of this, but I just, I really want you guys to feel empowered that if you have a dog that you're not sure how you're going to, you know, get over the finish line or, you know, even make a change or anything, just feel empowered that there's a possibility that it can get better. Because if we just say like, I'm a widow, my life sucks, you know, like I'm an orphan, my life sucks. I was abused, my life sucks. Whatever you want to say, if that's just who you are, your life is always going to (laughs) suck, you know? And don't say that about your dogs. Like, oh, the dog's just, you know, fearful. He can't go anywhere. That's just how he is. Maybe, but what can we do to possibly help the dog, you know? And I I ordered this book. Um, I haven't read it yet. It's Be Your Future Self Now. But it's basically just about you know, really harnessing in on who you want to be as a person in the future. And think about that with your dog too. And I thought about this parallel here today driving because the leaves are just starting to turn in Maine. And then like when you start to get down to mass, you know, it's just all green again. So there's like this small little vibrancy, right? In Southern Maine of these trees that are just starting to turn and the colors starting to be there. The small little changes can become the big changes, right? So envision yourself to be like one of these trees in the fall if you're blessed enough to live in a place in the U.S. or wherever you live that has four seasons and you have a fall. But honestly, if you see just one little red leaf on the tree, think, 
Okay, that's what I want to start to focus on. And I'm going to just start to focus on one minute of mindfulness a day. A minute of mindfulness, honestly, guys, could be turning your cell phone off or on airplane mode and just sitting outside for a minute. Then maybe next week it's two minutes. Just think of these little things because the smallest little things grow. And all habits need to start from some small little thing. So if you want to make a small change in your dog or a big change or a small change in yourself or a big change, you have to start small. So I thought the leaf thing was a good comparison. There has to be some desire for improvement. If you don't care, the dog is just going to do his thing. You're going to do your thing. And Same and for humans, right? Same yeah. for humans. We all know. So uh, If you do have the desire, start working on it. If the trainer, and I deal with a lot of clients, especially lately, that have already been to other dog trainers and just have not had the results they were hoping for, for a number of reasons. It could have been a personality clash with the trainer. It could have been they've done several months of training and the dog is not able to do some very basic things. So just don't give up on your dog. Find some other trainers, work with them if, you know, and because it's going to be the point, even going to training classes and whatnot, it's something you're doing with your dog Mm -hmm. rather than the dog just living in the yard and you're in the house and you're just kind of managing, okay, he has to go pee now. I got to feed him, but you don't really get the full benefit of owning a dog, which is awesome. Yeah. That's the great... (laughs) Having a dog is like the best thing. Companionship, domestication, being able to read us. But let's all, let's give our dogs good energy and then they'll hopefully give us good energy. All right, guys, thank you for joining us today on Wednesday. We will see you next week. Um, We're excited about fall. Hopefully those leaves keep on turning. If you missed last week, it was the last episode of Noelle's year-long series, Raising a High Drive Puppy. And in the meantime, keep Keep it it quirky. Bye, guys. Thanks. The views and opinions expressed by the hosts, guests, or callers of this program do not necessarily reflect the opinions of the Studio 21 Podcast Cafe, the United Podcast Network, its partners or affiliates.